This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are controlling transmission. You're listening to the Sleek Geeks podcast, and we are the Sleek Geeks, which fits very nicely. Dr. Carl Kruzelnitsky and uh, Adam Spencer. Uh, this podcast uh, brought to you by the number 10. I love the number 10, the basis of our counting oh, system. Oh, come on, it sucks. All you can do is five and two. What sort of crappy number is that? The point that Carl is making there, dear listeners, is we have 10 fingers. That's why we count probably in a base 10. Counting base 10 means we go zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We go, well, that's the units finished. Let's move up to the tens. One, zero, one, 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 two, one, three. When we've got up to the 99s, we go on to the hundreds, etc. We don't have to count in bases like that. We could have counted in base two like they do in computers. Binary is just all zeros and ones. You can count in base 12, for example, which is a, in some ways a more sensible base because mm-hmm. you can break 12 into a half, but also a third, a quarter, etc. When you count things in groups of 10... Yeah, to, but to break it into a third, you suddenly start getting three and a thirds and all that sort of stuff. But that's another point altogether. Oh, but what about the base 60? I was down at the... The Babylonians used to count in base 60. Oh, I, at, I was at Mona a few weeks ago in Tasmania. Yes. I saw a little clay tablet about the size of your clenched fist. Mm. And on it was a times table. Yeah. That, it was 3,900 years old. It was a times table that... Babylonian kids, 6 and 8 and 10 and 15, would have had to memorise yeah. 3,900 years ago before Athens and Rome had arisen Great. to the base 60. Yeah. Does that mean that whereas today kids have to memorise that 3 by 2 is 6, they would have had to memorise that the equivalent of 41 by 52 was some big number? Yeah, the Babylonians counted in a, in a base 60, and the advantage of base 60, so 10 can be divided by 2 and 5, and that's all. 12 that's sucks. by 2, 3, 4, and Bit 6. Better. Getting, getting but good. 12 is not divisible by 5. 60 is. So when you're counting in a base 60, for example, think of the 60 minutes in an hour. You can easily say half an hour is 30 minutes. A quarter of an hour is 15 minutes. A fifth of an hour is 12 minutes. They all come out as whole numbers. You don't, you don't get into fractions at any of that sort of messy stage. So when I saw that thing, the base 60 uh, table uh, scratching into a bit of clay, is that why we have 60 minutes now because of the Babylonians 3,900 years ago? We think that that is the case. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still see it in 60 minutes an hour, 360 degrees in a circle, that sort of stuff. Now, the reason I was going for 10 as the number that brought us this podcast was we're about to talk about anaesthetic. Ah. And when, you, when you're a kid in hospital and they whack it into you, the doctor always says, okay, as I give you this needle, why don't you try and count backwards from 10? I bet you'll be asleep before you get there. And you go, ha ha, doc, you've never seen anyone as tough as the Spence. 10, 9, <laughs> you would have seen people go under before. Yeah, and I, I in fact, love getting anaesthetic because I, I love fighting that challenge. I can get to about 8 and then suddenly I'm awake again. What happened? I've got no idea. And, and on the topic of anaesthetic, is it true that we don't really understand how it works. We just know that it does. We know exactly. We know that an anaesthetic will work, whether it's an IV or a gas, which the anaesthetists call a volatile. We know how many milligrams of per kilogram of body weight to give and whether it interacts with this and that or with other anaesthetics. We do not know. We do not know the mechanism, the pathway by which anaesthetics work. And I was reading in the bath another paper. You, you love this one. We're now we're now thinking that quantum mechanics is involved with vision, yeah, with hearing, yeah, 
and with the magnetic sensors of birds, they're now thinking, what if quantum mechanics is involved with consciousness oh. and is therefore is anaesthetics working at a quantum level? Oh, my God, it was mis- we're seeing with MITRE. I, I couldn't understand. It was too deep for me. When it comes to how much you need, do is, is that determined by your, your weight, your gender, your age? How do they determine it? Your age. How do they determine it? This is how they determine it. We get a fit young man like you in the Marines yeah. and we give you some gas some, and then while you're sort of looking unconscious... You, and this is how they got it, literally from United States Marines. They then come up to them with a scalpel and along the length of their forearm, they make a cut one centimetre long. This is the standard, what they call the, the standard incision. And if they wake up, they say, hmm, he woke up, and they try it on the next guy. And so the dose that... <laughs> <laughs> they, cut, the... they cut you with a scalpel, and if you react in pain, you obviously had not had enough anaesthetic. And so then the, from this, they define what they call the MAC, or minimum alveolar concentration, which is around two-something percent. And the MAC is that concentration of the volatile anaesthetic in your lungs that 50% of the population won't move in response to a standard surgical incision, and they worked it out on poor American Marines. So in general, does a kid need more... Need more. More anaesthetic than an adult? Yes. Because you'd think instinctively, the bigger the beast, the more gas you'd need to put them out. Uh, Weight for weight, they have a proportionally far bigger cardiac output, and that means that they remove the drug faster. So you ah. you, you would weigh 70-something kilograms. You've got five litres per minute of blood being pumped out by your heart. You go to a kid who weighs half as much, do they have two and a half litres? No, they've got about three or three and a bit. So they've got a proportionally greater cardiac output. So with regard to... The, they burn through the juice yeah. quicker. So with the intravenous anaesthetic, they get rid of it faster through their liver, and with the volatile, they remove it out of their lungs more quickly. Fantastic stuff. I'm certainly not... So kids need more. And here's another weird thing. My brother-in-law, who's an anaesthetic, he tries to get the kids in a good mood before he makes them go totally unconscious because it's as though you've thrown a switch. And if, at the moment of going unconscious, the kid is crying, you do the operation, and as soon as they wake up, they start crying again. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So if you can make them smile and tell them a joke, and then you just time the anaesthetic so they go unconscious. When they wake up, they've got the smile, and they're thinking, oh, well, life's good. And you know the fun... I mean, people, they love it. Not not that our healthcare professionals are not absolutely professional, but they, they from what I understand, it's pretty funny in the ward watching people come out from under. They can be doing all sorts of funny and weird things. Yeah, you think, things. did I say something a little naughty while I, can, I was under? I can remember, I had a routine procedure. This is back in the early 2000s, maybe late 1990s, and I was in the recovery ward coming to, and at the time I was an announcer on Triple J Radio, and I don't know if they recognised me and put the station on as a result or if it was just what they listened to anyway, but Triple J was on in the sort of recovery ward, and I'm waking up and I recognise the announcer and I, I can remember I'm sort of groggy and saying, oh, uh, Triple J. Yes, it's awesome. And the nurse said, yeah, I look, yeah, we, yeah, we love Triple J. It's great. And I go, oh, I work, I work there. What do you, do you want? What, what song do you want to hear? I'll, I'll, I'll call them up. That's all right. Give me a phone. Give me, give me, give me a phone and I'll call them. And we'll, yeah, we'll listen to whatever music you guys want. Yeah. 
Oh, dear. Very Well, uh, my brother-in-law was telling me how he was doing some training in England and they do a thing called the Suximothonium Dash, they, the anaesthetists, when they're bored on night shift. The Suximothonium Dash? Suximothonium is a drug that paralyses everything. Oh, no. Not just your arm and leg muscles, but your breathing. Uh. So they get a corridor and then down there they've got the team who are going to resuscitate you. Oh. Resuscitation is not just catching you as you fall, but actually then intubating you, shoving a tube down your throat, and then they, at one end, they inject the succinothonium, and if you can go further than anybody else and they catch you and then they have to resuscitate you, and if they don't resuscitate you, you die, but they resuscitate you. And, of course, the, the, it wears out quickly. They only have to sort of keep pumping the air into you for a couple of minutes, and then you're back again, and then you can try and beat the next guy to get the fish and chips at the pub or whatever these crazy British anaesthetists do. I, I just love that... A, a being as complicated as a human with our brains and our incredible ability to interact with the world could become so bored <laughs> that you'd think of, I might just whack up on some succimothonium and see how far I can run down this corridor. Well, the thing is that at night you might have four people coming in off a car accident and so you've got to have at least two anaesthetists there. Yep. And it could well be that the number of cases they'll deal with in the night is zero. Mm. But they've got to be there in case a bunch of people come in and they've got to keep them all alive. You've got to hope that if you do need emergency services and you go in late in the night or early in the morning, it hasn't been a particularly slow morning and just <laughs> as you were about to come in, a couple of guys decided to do the succimothonian dash That's right. and are now incapacitated. On that, you told me once also, isn't it, is it, is it the Antarctic where they, they hop in the sauna yeah. and the, do the 300-degree the challenge? It's the 300... Uh, you expose your skin to a temperature change of 300 Fahrenheit degrees in less than a minute. So when it's when minus one 100 outside, outside mm. which is, I know that minus 40 is the same Fahrenheit and Celsius. Oh, I'm laughing with humour at that joke. And they move at about double the rate. Yeah, ish. So by the time you get to minus 100, you've gone down another 60 Fahrenheit. So it's it's about minus 70 Celsius, give or Jeez, take. Jeez, that's cold. Okay, so minus 70 Celsius outside or yeah. minus 100 Fahrenheit, then you crank up the sauna the sauna to 200. 200 Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit. which is about 90 C. Yeah, yeah, okay. So 90 C inside, hop in the sauna, get out of the sauna, run. Make it apart from sand shoes. And then? So they get in the sauna and then their skin is exposed to plus 200 and when they've been there for a couple of minutes, they go, they're sweating like crazy. If they can't sweat they die, but, of course, they're hydrated, so they do sweat. And then out of the sauna, out of the dome, and literally slowly trot in the blacky, dark, inky darkness around the South Pole. They're just outside the South Pole, so they trot around the South Pole naked apart from sand shoes and then back into the dome again. And the important thing there is when you say slowly trot, you explained to me once because you'd, you'd be thinking, I'm just going to hightail it, get around there as quickly as I can. If you go too fast when you're doing the 300-degree temperature differential challenge, you're more likely to hurt yourself than if you only go at a moderate pace? Why yeah. is that? My mate did it one year and he thought, oh, I'm on top of it. So the next year he went a bit faster and he breathed more deeply and as a result, he got minor frostbite in his upper airways. Severe frostbite in his airways, he could have been dead. But he had only minor frostbite and he was okay. Has anyone ever done the 300-degree surface temperature skin differential South Pole challenge under the influence of succimothonium? 
Oh, my God. Because there, that's <laughs> game on. If you've got a spare couple of anaesthetists there, maybe. What's up? Twitter time. Yeah. Come on. Twitter. Dr. Carl and Adam Spencer with you on the Sleek Geek podcast. We've been asked on Twitter, Carl, how do contactless smart cards, these are all the rage now, you just wipe, you just swipe. Swipe and pay. You don't even need to insert it right. anymore or, or swipe down the strip. You just sort of hold your card near a meter and it goes, yeah, there you go. You've paid your money. Off you go. How do they work if there's no battery in the card, asks there's, someone. There's a battery that goes flat really quickly ah. and it's called a capacitor. And so you put it, your little card, next to, right right next to really close to the sensor and what it does is, we'll say for two seconds, it goes Blast radiation at you. And inside your little credit card is about one metre of wire wound in a spiral. And not only is it an antenna to pick up the signal, it actually picks up power. And for two seconds, we'll say, it stores this power in a capacitor. And then finally, when the capacitor is full, it says, that's it, I'm full. And then in a millionth of a second, it discharges itself and it throws all the energy back. And so it does, in fact, have a battery. Now, it's the, these are called RFIDs, and it's the same technology that's in your car when you're driving underneath a toll tower, and it says, and you drive on the tower and your thing goes beep. beep. In, in that case, you have a battery because the distance is greater. Uh-huh. It's about two metres longer. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you this. Ask away. Do you have your PayWave card inside a stainless steel cage? I don't have a PayWave card, but I have seen these things that people yeah. are getting, yes. Well, I first read about these about five years ago at the White Hat Conference in Las Vegas. Yes. So the White Hats are the good guys. They're, they're our spies. Yes. And obviously the Black Hats black are the hat. other guys. Evil, yes. trail slime, swear in public, push their way into queues. And, yeah, just generally sociopaths. And, and they're so stupid they don't even think to just wear a white hat. So um, at, at the White Hat Conference, somebody gets up and talks about how they wore what looked like a camera around their neck and walked through the Las Vegas International Airport and then scanned and then skimmed and stole all the PayWave information, not off the PayWave cards, but off the early versions of the passports. You know, mm. right? And then they showed it had all the information there. Adam Spencer, height this, weight this, et cetera, et cetera. All of that was there unencoded, which he'd stolen via this thing that he wore around his neck. And so he blasted out a big radio signal, which would work across a couple of metres, and then had a very sensitive receiver. And so somebody can get onto a bus and have something in their bag. And as they walk down the bus, they're interrogating every single PayWave card. And by the time they get to the end of the bus, they've got, say, 30 PayWave cards, which they can then spend anything they like on up to $99 and do it over and over until the next billing cycle. Is the theory the stainless steel wallet stops that that frequency and so the information can't be sucked out off the card? It works as a Faraday cage. And so I've got a little stainless steel sub-wallet in my wallet and I've tested it at the university and at the ABC and it does not... If, if I have my card inside that little stainless steel section, the pay-wavy thing, the RFID thing doesn't work. And so we're seeing more and more cases of this happening. You're talking with Dr. Carl and Adam. You're not talking. We're talking. You're listening to the Sleep Geeks podcast with Dr. Carl Kruzelnitsky and Adam Spencer. Cakes.